Wednesday, May 29th, 2013, episode number 50 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer. Show is published on Wednesdays, right here on footballnation.com, and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes Store. That's right, 50 episodes of Football Nation Today. Uh, we thank you all out there for your continued listenership and support. A nice landmark number, 50 episodes in, and uh, we could not do it without you. So we thank you for all that you do for the show. Uh, as we said a couple weeks ago, for the remainder of the NFL offseason, up until training camps open up in July, uh, we will be uh, we are publishing the show uh, every other Wednesday. That means that even though we're in what some would deem as the uh, lull of the NFL calendar, though with the announcement yesterday, which we'll talk about in our second down segment uh, about the NFL draft moving to May 8th through 10th, uh, this will no longer be the lull of the NFL calendar as the NFL continues its quest for 12-month sporting calendar domination. But even though... This year, draft happened in April. Free agency has pretty much been unwinding for the past several weeks. Uh, that little lull in between the draft and training camp. We still have a boatload to talk about today, though. Coming up next in our first down segment, we'll talk about Rob Gronkowski's uncertain future and how if his status remains in limbo come week one, it could have a big effect on the Patriots and AFC playoff picture. Also, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers always hope to factor into the AFC playoff race. And Big Ben had some comments this week about last year's rookie quarterbacks. In summary, he's not impressed. Uh, Brian Urlacher and Ray Lewis, obviously very impressive. And then some throughout their Hall of Fame careers. They have retired in the same offseason. And we'll talk about whether they are the last superstars we will ever see who don't play a skill position. Hmm, as I was saying earlier in the second down segment where we take a look at the biggest off-field NFL stories of the week, uh, the NFL continues its quest for sporting calendar domination with the announcement yesterday they're moving the NFL draft up next year to May 8th through 10th, and the NFL will also hope to implement HGH testing for the upcoming season, so we'll discuss some of the possible ramifications of that. Then in the third down segment, it's the Big Upper Slowdown segment, debating topics such as Joe Flacco. And whether or not the Ravens were dumb, as his agent suggests, not to sign him before last season. Uh, is Tom Brady overrated? As a postseason quarterback, we had a commenter, Mick Warshaw, bring that up on the show two weeks ago. And he actually wrote his own uh, editorial about it on FootballNation.com, which ran a couple of days ago. So we'll debate that point that Mick brought up on the comment thread of the show two weeks ago. And that he wrote the article about this week. Some very interesting stuff there. And uh, in the fourth down segment, the Rima Rant, we're closing out the show, taking a look at the story of Robert Griffin III accepting wedding gifts from strangers. I say he is insane, like crazy, for doing this and may regret this for as long as he lives. No, I'm completely serious. Listen to find out why. That's what we call a tease, and this is what we call a show, Football Nation Today, episode number 50. Again, we thank you for listening, your continued listenership. Cannot do it without you. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
So right, up, so right off the top, let's get into Rob Gronkowski and the Patriots. Gronkowski went in for a fourth surgery on his forearm last week. According to reports, the severity of the infection has decreased. Uh, they're optimistic that he won't need back surgery, which was speculated a couple weeks ago, but that is not for certain. Gronkowski has been absent from Patriot OTAs, and his status for Week 1 as of this recording remains in jeopardy. Now, as I teased in the opening, um, I think this is a huge concern for the Patriots because after Tom Brady, Gronkowski is the most important member of that football team, especially now since Wes Welker is signed with the Broncos. If Gronkowski had been healthy in 2011 and 2012, the Patriots would have won at least one of those games, either in the Super Bowl two years ago against the Giants or in last year's AFC Championship game against the Ravens. Um, if Gronkowski had been healthy in one of those games, the Patriots would have won one, if not both of those games. I think his absence uh, had, that much, had that much of a factor on the field. Um, and you look at these injuries that have been propping up with him over the past, let's call it 14 to 16 months, uh, the four surgeries on his forearms, the speculation that still isn't, uh, that, that is still out there about whether or not he'll need surgery on his back. You look at all these injuries propping up with Gronkowski, and it's difficult to say that the Patriots shouldn't have seen this coming to an extent. I mean, after all, Gronkowski dropped to the second round in 2010 because of injury concerns. Now, it wasn't the forearm, it was the back, which makes it all the more concerning that the back now has apparently become a question for him. It's so, that, so, you know, you could say that, that injury is creeping up again. But, you know, I mean, other teams in the league thought Gronkowski had can't-miss talent, too. I mean, the Patriots and Bill Belichick weren't the only ones who thought Gronkowski could be this all-pro caliber tight end. Um, other teams thought he was good, too. But, of course, he had those significant injury risks attached to him. So significant that he dropped all the way to the second round. Um, and there was a reason why he dropped the injuries, and we're seeing it now. Though, again, in college, it was primarily the back. Thus far, it's been primarily the forearm with the four surgeries and the infection that just does not go away. Um, but, again, the back issue now reportedly on the table, which has to be very concerning if you're a Patriots fan because, again, that is why Gronkowski dropped in the draft in the first place. And there's been a lot of talk this offseason, we've talked about it at times here on this show, about Gronkowski's off-field habits, going out a lot, drinking, partying, you know, what does that have to do with um, his health? How does that affect his health? Does it negatively impact his health and his recovery time? And, you know, I'm going to say the off-field habits haven't caused the injuries. I mean, Gronkowski was injured this year on an extra point or at least that's what they say. You know, he's the first player in the history of the NFL, at least to my knowledge, to be injured on an extra point. But nonetheless, his injury this past season happened on the field, or so they say. So him going out and drinking a lot had nothing to do with the original forearm injury, nothing at all. And I don't think it had anything to do with the back injuries he suffered throughout college. But I will say this about his off-field habits. Um, I think they may slow his recovery time. You know, I mean, look at the infection on his forearm, which has taken months to heal. He had to go in for surgery after surgery after surgery to clear this thing up. Four surgeries later, and now the forearm is and now the infection on the forearm is finally reportedly receding. But it took four surgeries, all within a short time span, for this thing to really get better. And you know, as we know, alcohol greatly mitigates the effects of antibiotics. Um, you know. 
you have to say, we don't know how much of an effect the off-field habits, the off-field drinking and partying Gronkowski does, has on, you know, his injuries and his health. We don't know that, if, we, we don't know the, the, the exact effect, but it's got to play a role, right? I mean, it's got to play at least some sort of role because alcohol mitigates the effects of antibiotics. And you assume Gronkowski is going to some of the finest doctors in the country and they couldn't get this infection to clear up until last week, four surgeries later. So yeah, I think it's certainly a question that's appropriate to be on the table. And it's not like it's unheard of that players parted themselves out of the league. And I'm not saying we're at that point with Gronkowski, but you have to connect the dots here. I mean, it takes four surgeries on the forearm for the infection to begin to clear up. He continues to go out, drinks a lot. We know alcohol. It cancels out the effects of antibiotics. I don't know. I think I, I, I think I think it's totally on the table and totally okay to connect the dots a little bit there. And you just look at some of the stuff Gronkowski does off the field. And look, he's 24 years old. He's a multimillionaire. Of course he's going to go out. Of course he's going to have a good time, as all of these guys do. But I feel like Gronkowski at times, takes it to that unnecessary level. I mean, you look at the reports on Deadspin that, that was published about a week and a half ago where, you know, you could have uh, taken a flight uh, to Las Vegas with Gronkowski uh, for $40,000 and have an intoxicating weekend with Gronk. And, oh, by the way, that would have been the weekend before his forearm surgery last Monday. I mean, now, Gronkowski was pulled from the trip at the last minute after the report was made public, not so coincidentally. But still, I mean, what is he thinking? You have an important forearm surgery on Monday, and you're going out for an intoxicating weekend in Vegas two days before? I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's just not responsible behavior. And I'm not saying don't go out. I'm not saying be a shut-in until you're 100% healed. But I'm just saying, you know... You have an infection on your forearm still. Do you need to be DDTing your brother on the on a stage? I mean, do you need to be raiding LSU frat bars? Do you need to be doing that? I mean, isn't there some middle ground, especially when you're trying to recover from this forearm injury, from these infections, from these surgeries? I mean, now four of them in a short span of time, maybe even more if he needs surgery on his back in the near future. I mean... That is a lot of, those are, a, that's a lot of surgeries. I mean, that's a lot for anybody to recover from. Um, so yeah, we'll see with Gronkowski, but there's no doubt about it. At this point in time, next to Tom Brady, he's the most important player the Patriots have on, on their roster. He's been absent from OTAs. And the fact that his status for week one is still in jeopardy, yeah, has to be a concern if you're a Patriots fan. Now, of course, Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers would probably be okay with Rob Gronkowski missing <laughs> the first few weeks of the regular season or maybe not being right throughout this season uh, because they, of course, always a factor in the AFC playoff picture. And Ben Roethlisberger was at Steelers OTAs and had this to say this week about all the young quarterbacks that have been uh, coming up in the league. Roethlisberger said, I'm getting this from ESPN.com, quote, people ask me all the time about these young quarterbacks, Roethlisberger said, and I say, let's wait. One year does not mean a lot in this league. Let's see what happens in two, three years. I'm not trying to take anything away from them. 
I think they did some great things last year, and they have all the potential to be great quarterbacks. But you don't want people to jump on their bandwagon so fast and put so much pressure on them to live up to those expectations. My advice to them is to keep doing what they're doing, playing as hard as you can, because people will keep trying to build you up, and it could get tough. Okay, now, I've said this before, I'll say it again, a million times. I think last year's quarterbacks class was special. I mean, all four of Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, uh, Robert Griffin, I'll throw in Colin Kaepernick, even though he wasn't technically a rookie, it was his first year as a starter. Uh, all four of those guys made the postseason, and they should all build in their successes this year. Because, well, number one, they all play on pretty good teams. I mean, Kaepernick and Wilson play on perennial Super Bowl favorites in the NFC. The Colts made the playoffs last year with Andrew Luck and should only get better as he matures as a player and as they make additions to their roster. The only team that hasn't improved this offseason is the, Red, is the Redskins with Robert Griffin, but I look at the NFC East and I think it may be a down year there. I mean, the Eagles seem to be rebuilding with a new coach in Chip Kelly, installing his new program there. Uh, the Cowboys, who knows? I, I think the Cowboys will are a perpetual 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven team as long as Tony Romo is their quarterback, Jerry Jones is the owner, and that organizational structure stays the same. Uh, the Giants, of course, always a force to be reckoned with in terms of the playoff picture out there, but I, I think it could be a down year in the NFC East this year. So yeah, the Redskins should expect to make the postseason once again. Um, so they're all on good teams. That's important. And it's also important to note that these quarterbacks are special because they can do everything. They can run, yes, and they're mobile, but they can also throw. They're all terrific passers. You look at Robert Griffin III, had a completion percentage of 65.6 last season with a 102.4 quarterback rating. Russell Wilson had a completion percentage of 64.1 with a QB rating of 100. Colin Kaepernick had a completion percentage of 62.4 and a QB rating of, of 98.3. Statistically speaking, Luck actually was by far the worst of the four, as he had a completion percentage of 54.1 and a QB rating of 76.5, but still, a lot was on Luck's shoulders as he threw the ball 627 times last season. Um, the, the point is, I think all these guys are special. I think they're all immensely talented. I think a guy like Luck, this sounds like such a cliche, but it's true. He's a leader. He's a born leader with all the game-leading and game-tying drives. He led the Colts down last season. A lot of their dramatic come-from-behind victories. I mean, that's the key in any sport, right? When you can take victory from the jaws of defeat, and that's what Andrew Luck helped the Colts do quite a bit last season. I think all of these guys, um, they're, 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 you know, they, 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 have, they have infinite ceilings. I think they're all immensely talented. And to me, again, I've said this before, I think the most impressive thing about all of them is they can do it all. Yes, they can run. Yes, they're mobile, and that's fun. But they can also throw the hell out of the football. So I disagree with Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I don't think I'm getting ahead of myself either. These rookie quarterbacks are special. They're really special. And yeah, I can say that after just watching them in the league for one year. I think they're that damn good. Now, another man who was that damn good throughout his Hall of Fame caliber career with Chicago Bears middle linebacker Brian Urlacher, who, who retired late last week after 13 NFL seasons. Urlacher was a player who embodied the middle linebacker position. 
It was the right move for him to make. He was at the end of the line, insulted at the Bears' contract offer at the end of the season, thought they lowballed him, which they did, but it was in their right. Erlacher was at the end of the line, hurt his hamstring in Week 13 this season, couldn't complete the year. Uh, if you look at the career numbers, 1,358 combined tackles, 41.5 sacks, 22 career interceptions from the middle linebacker spot, which is incredible. Uh, and Erlacher and Ray Lewis... Two icons at the linebacker position. Both retire within a couple of months of each other. And the question I now have is, knowing where the league is going and all the rule changes that favor the offense, uh, the emphasis on finesse passing offenses, so defenses trying to get faster, you know, all the regulations now against hard hitting hard and leading with your helmet and a lot all the restrictions placed on defensive players. The question is, Brian Urlacher and Ray Lewis, the last defensive superstars we will see who don't play a skilled position, either cornerback and in today's NFL with pretty much every down being a passing down, I'll throw defensive end in there as well, like an elite, an elite, 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 elite pass rusher. You know, I emphasize the word elite because it can't just be a, a good pass rusher, but I think an elite, elite pass rusher like Lewis and Urlacher were elite, elite middle linebackers in their primes. Um, have we seen the last of the superstar hard-hitting linebacker? Have we seen the last superstar player in the NFL who does not play a skill position on either side of the football? Knowing where the league is going, I think that may be the case. I think we may have seen the last superstars in Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher who do not play skill positions because you just look at this league, you look at where it's going, the rule changes, more difficult to hit guys hard as Erlacher and Lewis did, uh, where the league is going in terms of offense and passing, middle linebackers like them aren't as good in pass coverage as they are, you know, rushing the passer on rushing down. So, you know, it's it's getting tougher for those kind of guys, Lewis and Erlacher, to stay in this league, play at those high levels. So you just wonder if Erlacher and Lewis are the last non-skill position superstars we've seen in the modern NFL. Certainly something to keep your eye on. And moving on to the second down segment, we take a look at some of the biggest off-field NFL stories of the past week. And this week, broke yesterday, the NFL Draft officially moving up to May 8th through 10th. That's right, the NFL Draft will no longer take place at the end of April. It will now take place... In the middle of May. What does this mean? It means the NFL is that much closer to their quest of 12-month sporting calendar domination. That's right. And you know what else is coming with the NFL draft being pushed back to May? An expanded postseason. Yep, we've talked about this before on the show and they've batted this idea around. But it's undoubtable now, in my mind. An expanded postseason is coming to the NFL. It's undoubtedly happening. It's inevitable. It's coming. With an additional weekend of playoff football, an additional off week, which might happen prior to the first playoff week or the second playoff week. Regardless, you push the Super Bowl back to the third week in February. You push free agency back to the end of March, early April. You have the NFL draft a month later, early May, May 8th through 10th. And this then allows the National Football League to dominate the sports calendar for 12 months. 
You push Super Bowl back to the third week of February. You bite even more into the NBA and NHL regular seasons. You completely overwhelm the NBA All-Star Weekend and NBA trade deadline. You slow down a little bit in March, but the free agent speculation begins. Free agency heats up end of March, early April. So right there, you stop in the beginning of the baseball season and the start of the NBA and NHL postseasons. And then May 8th through 10th, you dominate the sporting calendar throughout most of May with NFL draft coverage, NFL draft fallout. And again, you stomp over the NBA, NHL postseasons, and the baseball regular season. And then you have June off, and come July, oh, training camps are beginning in a few weeks, and we're back to the NFL 24-7. It's brilliant on the league's part. It is. And it's only one more week of playoff football. It's not two or three more weeks of playoff football, so... Though people like myself will whine and moan about it, we'll eventually get on board. It's fine. It will become the new normal, as they say. And it's not oversaturation. And look, the only way to expand revenues is to expand product. And the NFLPA is not going to allow the owners to go from 16 to 18 regular season games without significantly increasing player compensation. It's not going to happen. So, okay, that's off the table. So how can the owners expand the product? Boom. Add another playoff weekend, another more playoff games. Nobody's going to object to that. You can push the season back a couple weeks, push the offseason calendar back a couple weeks, and boom, you are that much closer to 12-month sporting calendar domination. And people like myself, as I said, will be kicking and screaming all the way to the finish line here, but eventually we'll have to get used to it. We won't stop watching football because of it. It'll become accepted as the new normal. Now, HGH, I've said for a while, I think is the new normal in all of sports, not just the NFL, but the NFL, as Major League Baseball has done, is making an attempt to implement some speed bumps here as the NFL has made a proposal to have HGH testing take place for this upcoming season. Now, MLB implemented HGH testing this season and tested during spring training. As far as the NFL goes, the samples would be stored until the World Anti-Doping Agency established a standard for acceptable levels, and then they would go from there. The NFL Players Union, of course, would rather start testing after the doping agency has determined what an acceptable level is. So I'm not sure if it's going to happen this season, but it looks like it's coming soon. HGH testing to the NFL. Uh, Look, I think the best these professional sports leagues can do, and frankly the most they want to do, is to implement speed bumps, implement deterrence, you know, kind of pump the brakes a little bit on HGH use, steroid use, but not slam on the brakes. Because in today's era, we will never see a steroid-free sport. We will never see a PED-free sport. And frankly, the leagues don't want us to see a PED-free sport because that means a PED-free product, and that means a product that is subpar. I mean, in the NFL... It would significantly worsen the on-field product and thus take money out of the owner's pockets in the long run. If you had an NFL where players couldn't take steroids, couldn't take HGH, couldn't take some sort of illegal substance, do you know what would happen? By week 10 or 11, every, pretty much half the league would be unrecognizable. Really, it just isn't possible to play this game without pushing medical science to its limits. And especially now, players get faster, they get stronger. Year after year, the speed of the game increases. It would be impossible in today's day and age 
for us to get the product we want if these players didn't take something. So we're never going to see a steroid-free sport because the testing will always be a half. Uh, the, excuse me, the uh, the the science. Excuse me, will always be a half step ahead of the testing. And frankly, that's fine. And we don't want it to be any other way. The leagues don't want it to be any other way. I mean, in Major League Baseball, the HDH test is in spring training, so the players know the time frame of know know the time frame of when it's coming. And they go from there. I mean, the only truly effective way to do it, to completely stop usage, would be to do random testing throughout the season on multiple occasions. But the leagues don't want to do that because they don't want to spend the money and resources it would you know, cost to do that. Uh, and nor should they. I mean, let's not pretend that NFL players will no longer use HGH if this testing system is implemented. They'll just have to be smarter about it which is fine. I mean, I'm not looking for players to run rampant with this. I mean, Seattle safety Ken Chancellor said this week that the Seahawks' message to defensive players after Bruce Irvin's PED suspension is to grow up. And I think, you know, as far as Richard Sherman's suspension last year, but I think what, can, what uh, Ken Chancellor means is less grow up and more smarten up. I mean, if you get suspended for steroid use in baseball, it means you left a paper trail. It means you weren't starting smart about your cycles. It means you were stupid with your usage, quite frankly, and that's fine. Idiots, morons in life deserve to get caught, and that's what's going to happen here in the NFL. Um, but the smart players, the competent players with smart and competent people around them will be able to find a way around this testing as they do in baseball since they only test in spring training there, and that's fine. And the league doesn't want to put a complete stop to steroid or HGH use. You as a fan or, or consumer of the product don't want to see an NFL without HGH use. Trust me, as I said, the league would be unrecognizable come week 10 uh, with all the injuries that would pile up. So the point is the best these leagues can do with modern science is to implement speed bumps. They'll never be able to stop it. And frankly, as a fan, that's all you should want them to be able to do. And that is all they want to do. They don't want to put a complete stop to it, even if it were possible, because it would be a significantly worse on-field product. Moving on to our third down segment today. It's the Big Up Slowdown segment. I say a statement, and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Topic number one, Joe Flacco's agent said this week, the Ravens were dumb to not sign Flacco before last season. Flacco's agent says the dispute was about $1 million six years from now in the base salary, non-guaranteed money, and they walked away. Big up or slow down. Were the Ravens dumb not to sign Flacco a year earlier? Uh, I say slow down here. No, I don't think the Ravens were dumb not to sign Flacco last year. And that's because they didn't know if Flacco was their guy going forward. He had to play for his contract, and he did. They won a Super Bowl this year, and he played terrifically in the postseason. Um, and the contract at $120 million overall isn't dumb. I mean, the cap hits are manageable for the foreseeable future. It didn't prevent the Ravens from doing what they wanted to do this offseason. They were still able to spend in free agency. Yes, they wanted LRB, Kruger, and those guys to go. Pollard, Ed Reed, they wanted those guys to go. It was by choice, not because they were forced, because then they went out and signed guys like Elvis Doomerville and Michael Huff, so they had money to spend. They just chose it not to spend it on their guys. This was part of the plan. Um, 
But once the cap hits for Flacco become unmanageable, 2016, he has a cap hit of $28.5 million. Well, then the Ravens can always restructure the deal. They can say, Joe, look, we don't have enough money to, we don't have enough cap room anymore to build a competitive team around you. You got to restructure. And quarterbacks, as we know, are more of a management position now than a player position. So Flacco will agree to restructure if it's favorable to the Ravens, because that means it's favorable to him, because he recognizes he has to be surrounded with the best team possible as well. So as soon as the cap hits become uh, unmanageable, the Ravens can always restructure the deal. They know they can do that. The cap hits are manageable for the foreseeable future. So no, it's not a dumb deal at all for the Ravens. Uh, Flacco's agent is dumb. I'll say that because with that statement, he makes it sound like his ultimate goal was to take the Ravens to the woodshed in free agency, which doesn't reflect really well on him or his client. So the only guy who, the only person who's dumb here is Flacco's agent. Uh, Joe Flacco isn't dumb for taking the contract and the Ravens aren't dumb for giving it to him and making him play for it, most importantly. To continue the quarterback talk here in the third down segment, Mick Warshar, a contributor to FootballNation.com, listener to the show, commented two weeks ago, our last episode, talking about Tom Brady's uh, postseason credentials and raised the question, is Tom Brady an overrated postseason quarterback? And I decided to discuss that briefly here on the show. Big up or slow down. Um, you know, after a lot of deliberation and looking at both sides of it, I'm going to say big up. Yes, Tom Brady, listen folks, Tom Brady is an overrated postseason quarterback. Now, I'll explain myself. Mick Warshaw, in his article on footballnation.com this week, writes this. This is the lead. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have been compared and contrasted about as often as Star Trek and Star Wars. Nice, nice metaphor, like that. The Cliff Notes versions of their careers go like this. Manning is a great regular season quarterback who struggles in the playoffs, while Brady is a consummate winner always races his game when it matters. That's why Brady has three rings to Manning's one, and anyone who can count knows that that makes Brady better. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Okay, here are the stats, as Mick cites in his article and cited on our comment page two weeks ago. Brady's career postseason quarterback rating is 87.5. Uh, 87.4, excuse me. In his first five career playoff starts, he had a QB rating in the 70s. Brady's career touchdown-interception ratio in the postseason is 42-22, and 22, significantly worse than his career ratio of 334 touchdowns to 123 interceptions. It's significantly worse than that. Brady, of course, is 7-7 in his last 14 career postseason games after starting his career 10-0 in the playoffs. The greatest offense in history, statistically, scored 14 points in Super Bowl 42 with Brady at the helm, 14 points against the Ravens in divisional round of the playoffs in 2009, or excuse me, in wildcard weekend, rather, 21 points against the Jets in the divisional round in 2010, 17 points in 2011 in the Super Bowl against the Giants, and 13 points in the AFC Championship game against Baltimore this past January. So, you look at all those numbers, and you say, yeah, man, those are pedestrian offensive performances, especially for a statistically 
the best offense this league has ever seen the past handful of regular seasons. Career postseason rating of 87.4. 42 to 22 TD interception ratio, well worse than his regular season, you know, career ratio. Yeah, overrated. Well, here's the but. The biggest takeaway I have from those playoff games over the past five to six years is that the defense has been unable to win the team a game. I mean, go through it. Go through the history of the league, even the recent history of the league. As the league continues to trend in more of an offensive direction, we still see that at least once in the postseason, the defense needs to carry the day. Even a team like the Packers in 2010 didn't score 35 points every game on their way to the Super Bowl. Somewhere along the line, the defense needs to carry the day and win you a game. And the Patriots' defense has been un unable to pick up the offense and do that. And to me, the biggest difference between Tom Brady and Peyton Manning is that Manning has choked in the playoffs. Brady may not have carried the Patriots in the playoffs as much as many think he has. I think that's certainly fair. And that's why I say ultimately, yes, he may be overrated as a postseason quarterback. But Brady isn't the sole reason why the Patriots have lost the games they've lost. In Super Bowl 42, it took a freakish catch from David Tyree to beat the Pats. In 2011, in the Super Bowl, the Giants had a late fourth quarter drive to win the game. Manning, of course, has lost his first playoff game seven times in his career. Seven times Peyton Manning teams with him at the helm have been one and done in the playoffs. And I can look at specific plays Manning has made that cost his team's games. Uh, he threw that late game interception to Tracy Porter in the Super Bowl in 2009. He threw two interceptions against the Ravens last year and their disappointing loss. I can point to games and say, yes, Manning has single-handedly lost those games for the Colts. I can't look at a single playoff game that Brady has lost for the Patriots. I can't. He may have been a factor in their loss, but I don't think there's any playoff game that Tom Brady was the overriding reason for the Patriots losing. And I don't think he can say the same for Peyton Manning. I mean, Brady has single-handedly won the Patriots a few playoff games. In Super Bowl 2003 against the Panthers, Mick Warshaw likes to say that Brady's never had a game-winning touchdown drive, only game-winning field goal drives. Okay, yes, if we're playing semantics, that's true. But they're still game-winning drives, number one. And number two, in Super Bowl 2003 against the Panthers, Brady went 32 of 48 for 354 yards, a 100.5 QB rating, and a 3 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. Um, it's pretty difficult to play any better than that. In 2004, in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, Brady went 23 for 33 for 236 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. Hard to play any better than that. Against Denver uh, two years ago, he threw for 363 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. Dominating performance. Against Houston last year, 344 yards, three touchdowns. Dominating performance for Tom Brady. The recent Patriots postseason losses more exposed the flaws on the Patriots rather than the flaws of Brady. Yes, Tom Brady has played a role in these recent Patriot postseason defeats. But you can also say that the defense, at least once in January, even in today's offensive happy era of the NFL, 
needs to pick up the team and win at least one game. And this Patriots defense has been incapable of doing that. It's all been on the offense, and it can't all be on the offense. But yes, I will grant you this, Mick, and others out there who agree with him. If the Patriots don't win another one with Brady, the legacy becomes more about the games they've lost than the games they've won. Yeah, I'll say that. And I'll even say that looking at all of it, Brady may be a bit of an overrated postseason quarterback. Sure. But is he Peyton Manning? No, not even close. He's still infinitely better than Peyton Manning in January. That, in my opinion, isn't even a question. Final question here in the third down segment. It's another quarterback topic. Mike Vick said this week in an interview, we was on the Dan Patrick show, that he's still the fastest quarterback in the league. That's what he wanted to say. He just wanted to prove the doubters wrong. He, Mike Vick, is still the fastest QB going. Big up or slow down. Does this show that Mike Vick still doesn't get it? I'm going to say big up. And I say that because, what does it matter? I mean, fastest quarterback? Yeah, I forgot. They judge who wins games by which quarterback can run the fastest 40 time. I, I forgot all about that yet. Never mind the scoreboard. Never mind scoring touchdowns. No, it's all about which quarterback can run the faster 40. And whichever quarterback can, wins the game. His team wins. Yeah, I forgot all about that. I mean, what is he, 10 years old? In the playground at school? Challenging everyone to races? I mean, what does this matter? Why isn't Vic say on the Dan Patrick show, uh, I'm out to prove I'm one of the best quarterbacks. I'm out to prove I can still pass better than anybody. Oh, wait, is that because he never was? <gasps> to go back to the rookie class, which we talked about earlier in the show, those guys, Robert Griffin, Russell Wilson, Kaepernick even, they can all throw. There are quarterbacks who can run, whereas Mike Vick was a guy who can run who plays quarterback. That's the biggest difference between those guys and Vick, and it shows here that Mike Vick still does not get it. You just want to tell all the doubters you're still the fastest quarterback in the league. That's the number one thing you have to say, the number one thing on your mind. Not that I can still win, not, 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 not that I can bring the Eagles back to the playoffs after two disastrous seasons where, oh, by the way, my job isn't secure anymore. No, the thing he needs to, needs to say to them is that he's still the fastest quarterback in the league. Really? Because that matters how. So, no, that shows that Mike Vick still does not get it. Speaking of not getting it, Rob Griffin III, I have an infinite amount of respect for him on the field and his abilities. I think the show today, you would know that. But he doesn't get it because of this. Sure, you know the story by now. Robert Griffin III and his fiance have accepted wedding gifts from strangers. They registered with the wedding registry, and their wedding's been made public. And it's big news Robert Griffin's getting married, so fans began to send him and his fiance wedding gifts. And Robert Griffin III has accepted these wedding gifts, and in fact, he's embraced. Of the gifts he's received, taking pictures of them, posting them all up through social media. And I say, this is a terrible move on his part, and a move that he may regret for the rest of his life. 
Robert Griffin III, because he's accepting all of these wedding gifts from strangers, hundreds, thousands of gifts, will never be able to enjoy privacy again. All sorts of people now think they have a connection with them. If a guy approaches him and says, hey, RG3, what's up, bud? How's the toaster I bought you? Eh, you kind of have to talk to him. You know, if someone says, hey, RG3, now how's the, how's the betting I got you? You and your wife enjoy that? Eh, you kind of have to answer him. You're kind of indebted now to these people who have spent money, their money, on wedding gifts for you. Yeah. From now on, Robert Griffin III is indebted to weirdos everywhere. He is forever indebted to weirdos. Because he didn't just take these gifts, he's embracing these gifts. And if you go up to Robert Griffin and say, hey, how was that wedding gift I bought you? You have to talk to that person. You do. You've brought it upon yourself. So that was a big mistake by Robert Griffin III and his fiance. Hopefully they received a ton of kitchenware. You know, tons of pots, tons of pans, tons of stuff for the kitchen. Because they'll never be able to go out to eat after this. They'll never be able to enjoy a private meal to themselves in a restaurant. If they want privacy, they should eat in their kitchen. And lock the doors and close the blind and close the and close the blinds because uh well people may be peeking in and if someone's peeking in your house and says oh there's that blender i bought you for your wedding how's it treating you eh, you gotta let them in and talk about it because that's their blender they bought you that gift you're forever indebted to the weirdos now robert Oof. you gave away your privacy forever for some photos to post on your twitter and instagram Hope was worth it, buddy. Gosh. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 50 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer. As always, we thank you folks out there for listening. Feel free to send me an email, areamer.com. At bu.edu is my email address. Also, feel free to follow me on Twitter. At AlexRumor1 is my Twitter name. As always, feel free to leave a comment on our show page on footballnation.com. We'll be back with more NFL talk two weeks from now. Until then, enjoy yourselves. Hopefully, you all had a nice, long Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully, today made your hump. Hopefully today's show made your hump day Wednesday a little more manageable. And we'll be back to talk to all you guys in a few weeks. So long. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next two weeks from now. Not, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening.